stars you should know for autumn astronomy on episode 364 of the actual astronomy podcast i'm chris and joining me is shane we are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who enjoys going out under the stars so before we uh get to dave we have a couple patreon supporters to thank uh there shane we do thank you dom and dawn uh our two newest patreon supporters we really appreciate it it helps keep the podcast going and as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah. And they also send some very kind words. And we do appreciate that just as much because so many uh, other podcasts that that I, I read about never hear from their listeners or like they'll get mm -hmm. one email a month or something like that. And it's really nice that we have uh, so many engaged listeners who send us their show ideas, observations questions it really helps to fill out the show we we wouldn't be able to do these without the machine oh yeah for sure it's uh you know it, it's sort of motivational but it's also just i find it super interesting the the connections that we're we make with a number of listeners and hearing their astronomical journeys and you know i learn a lot from them and and uh you know it's just nice to have that community speaking of uh listeners and supporters one of our listeners and supporters today is joining us. Uh, that's Dave Chapman for his fourth installment of his Stars You Should Know series. I'll read a brief bio, then we'll get going. I, I think it might, be the, it might be the fifth, actually. Fifth? Okay. Yeah, because we've stuff. done, we did the Northern Stars. Oh, that's then, right. And this is the fourth season. So, okay. That's right. Excellent. All right. So Dave Chapman is a physicist who worked for 31 years in the federal government. He is a life member of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and was editor of the RASC, which is the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada's Observer's Handbook from 2012 through 2016. He's the co-author of the Mi'kmaq Moons, The Seasons in Mi'kmaq. He is a lifetime amateur astronomer and lives in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Always good to have you on the show, Dave. Thanks for correcting me there. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, well, it's great. It's great to be back. And it's great to be correcting you again. <laughs> it, yeah, and people should know, like, this isn't just like some sort of superficial banter here that uh, Dave has probably corrected more of my astronomical writings and work than anybody else, uh, probably tenfold. Only because you asked me. Wait, I do exactly. it. I do it as a friend. It's a service. I, I do. I do a lot it's of a that. <laughs> well, I do a lot of that kind of thing for the RESC, you know, the. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's let's not harp on that. But uh, it's something yeah. I, I I do. Uh, I enjoy doing it, and people seem to appreciate my my help with it. And uh, your complimentary <laughs> calendar is in the mail for no, you proofread it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, we're gonna do stars. You should know for fall. I guess we've got one one more session to go uh, which may come up in a month or two uh the next time we do one of these and it'll be the, the south polar stars which i'm really looking forward to talking about but today it's going to be the fall stars and as usual uh we're going to be looking uh, at the greek you know the greco-roman names of the stars or you know whatever what the international astronomical union has and you know there may be some occasional indigenous references but we we don't have time to you know really go talk about all the different cultural um, cultural approaches to stars in the sky i mean it's a vast uh, literature on that yep. so uh in reference to the stars i'll be talking about the different spectral classes which uh were um devised by in the 
couple of centuries ago by Annie Jump Cannon. And they range from sort of the blue stars through the white, the yellow, and so on, orange, and, and then red. And the, uh, in that sequence, the spectral classes are O, B, A, F, G, K, M. Now, to me, that anyhow, I have uh, an idea. I don't know if you want to just talk about this at the end of the podcast, if there's time, or you might want to make it as a, a viewer quiz. They could send in their answers and you could give them a prize or something for the best answer. Ooh. So the question is, here's the question for people to ponder uh, while we're going through this is why are there no green stars? Okay. You know, there's blue, white, yellow, red, orange, it, but there's no green stars. And the question is why? And as if it's a, a very interesting answer involves physics, of course. Let's let's just uh, move on. Uh, I've selected only 11 stars, uh, 11 bright stars uh, for this session. And they range from magnitude 1.2 to magnitude 3.5. So they'd be okay to find even in the city. Uh, but, you know, in the fall, there's no really super bright stars like there are in the summer and the winter skies. But we still consider them bright if, you know, they're they're reasonably bright. Eight of the 11 uh, are used for celestial, celestial navigation. You know, when people used to sail around the ocean with uh, chronometers and sextants and figure out where they were on the globe by so-called shooting the stars with their sextant and doing some calculations. So I don't know if anyone does that anymore. I suppose it could be a backup. Nine of them are used by Skywatcher and Celestron as alignment stars. So if you have the kind of telescope uh, software that uh, asks you to choose a star by name, this is a good way to learn the names of those stars. Uh, sort of a bonus in, in this session, three of the constellations we're going to explore uh, play a big role in the Andromeda-Perseus myth. Now, we don't have time to go into that story, but it's a well-known story. And we already uh, introduced in another session, we introduced um, Cassiopeia and Cepheus, who are the, some other characters in that story. So we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, to uh, point those out as we go by. Let's head off. So the first uh, constellation we're going to visit is Pegasus which is the winged horse. Now, Pegasus, he, uh, Pegasus is not directly involved in the Andromeda-Perseus myth, but uh, if you read the mythology on Pegasus, uh, you find that, at least one version of it, that Pegasus emerged from the body of the Gorgon, Medusa, uh, when Perseus cut off her head, and that was the origin of Pegasus, but after that, Pegasus doesn't figure in the story. There are some erroneous versions of the story which have Perseus riding the winged horse, but uh, that's not correct. I don't even know why, how that came to be. But th there is another hero associated with Pegasus, but uh, it's not Perseus. Okay. Anyway, Pegasus is the winged horse. Most of us recognize it by the large square of about equally bright stars that we see in the fall sky in the uh, high in the sky and that we call that the great square of pegasus it's it's quite a, a quite a large uh, feature but it's easy to pick out 
And the brightest star in Pegasus is called Markab, and that's Alpha Pegasi. And it's the the uh, southwestern star of the Great Square of Pegasus, or if you like, the lower left one in the square. And the, the meaning of Markab is the saddle. So it's the saddle of the horse. Now, when you look up at the uh, Great Square of Pegasus, I guess the Great Square is the, the body, uh, and then the head is kind of at the bottom of the constellation. So there's the horse, the winged horse is kind of flying up the, upside down. So anyway, Markab ends up being the saddle of Pegasus, and it's a magnitude 2.5 variable star, and it's a, a spectral class A0, or blue-white in color. It is definitely one of the navigation stars, and both Skywatcher and Celestron use uh, Markab in their alignment procedures. So not much more to say about that. But it's a good one to know, and it helps you sort of, and, and it'll come up in a bit. It'll it also helps uh, to find another star in the sky later on. Uh, the second star we're going to visit in um, Pegasus is Enith, which is Epsilon Pegasi, and it represents the nose or the snout of the horse. It's about the same brightness as Markab, magnitude two point four. It's a variable star. But in this case, it's a K2 or orange-red star. It's a navigation star. And uh, again, the Skywatcher and Celestron both use that star for alignment purposes. One of the useful things about ENIF, if, if you're looking for deep sky objects, is if you can find ENIF, uh, and if you imagine, again, an upside-down horse and, and you know the horse's head ends in ENIF, the globular cluster 15 is about four degrees to the northwest of Enif. So if you're using your binoculars, if you can find Enif, you can easily star hop over to that globular cluster. I always observe that one last on uh, autumn evenings. Um, the, the star or the globular cluster? The, the cluster, because that's when I've had enough observing. Okay, so it's just a, <laughs> it's just a familiar place to stop? Or? Yeah, well, Enif... Enough observing for the oh, night. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't see that coming. Did you just yeah, make that up? That's what happens just... when you send me the notes beforehand, see? Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, this is every Sunday morning for me. <laughs> did, did you just make that up? I did make that up just now. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. I'll have to remember that if I ever do this again. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's move on to Andromeda. And Andromeda, of course, is one of the principal constellations in the Perseus uh, Andromeda myth. She is the beautiful daughter of Cassiopeia and Cepheus. And, and of course, uh, Cassiopeia bragging of her beauty is what le leads to all of the problems which uh, ensue. Um, poor Andromeda. I mean, it wasn't her fault, right? This is kind of interesting because... The, the brightest star in Andromeda is Alpha Rats, Alpha Andromedae, and uh, it's actually um, the uh, northeastern star of the Great Square of, of Pegasus. So this is interesting because, and the meaning of Alpha Rats is horse. So the, the thing is, is that for a long time, uh, the people who did celestial charts and so on they they weren't very particular about uh, reusing stars for things. So that star Alpharats 
uh, it was sort of both in Andromeda and in uh, Pegasus for a long time. But when the uh, International Astronomical Union sort of normalized things in, I think, 1938, they sort of said, no, you can't belong to two constellations. So you can only, you know, so they put Alpharats in Andromeda, even though its name is horse. So, <laughs> so I guess for a while it was also called Delta Pegasi, but we don't use that anymore. So it's a magnitude 2.1 variable triple star. It's a spectral class B9 blue white star. And I already said that it's the Northeast star in the square of Pegasus. So Alpharats and Markab. Uh, it's a navigation star and a sky watcher star and a celestron star. And here, here's the neat thing about uh, Alpharats. If, if you uh, are interested in the uh, celestial coordinate system, right ascension declination, uh, Alpharats is very close to zero hours and right ascension. Uh, so if you're wondering where's zero hours right ascension, well, Alpharats is, uh, well, it is where it is, I guess, today. Not not originally, but today, because this shifts very slowly in time. Wow, that's but, super handy. I didn't know that. Well, I <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I guess I I kind of observed that when I was preparing the notes, and uh, and like there really isn't a, a convenient bright star that uh, could rival Alpharats for that uh, for that role. So I thought it was kind of neat. Like, if, where's you know where's zero hour? So. What that means is that if you're looking at Alpharats and then you let time progress through the evening, the right ascension will increase from zero to one to two. And so that's to the east or left-hand side in the sky. And on the right hand of Alpharats or to the western, uh, the numbers will be coming up to 24, okay? If you're trying to figure out where things are in the sky, you know, if they're low right ascension or high right ascension, that's that's the dividing line there. So interesting, huh? That that is really neat because yeah. um, even though it's not a bright star, Alpharats is is one of those stars that uh, that people really should know. Yeah, um, be because of that dual duty being um, a yeah. star in the corner of the square of Pegasus, while also. Uh, being a star in Andromeda, and then now here's just something else that uh, that makes it an important star. You should know, even though yeah. it's not like yeah. necessarily one of the brightest stars in the sky. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, this isn't a, a a deep sky object uh, episode, but uh, uh, and this isn't a very good way to find Andromeda galaxy. But a very rough way to get into the right part of the sky is if you if you go from Markab across the Great Square to Alpharats and keep on going. It's not exactly in a straight line, but it, it's in that part of the sky. If you're trying to figure out where to look with a pair of binoculars, I mean, Andromeda is quite big, and uh, so you know you wouldn't we wouldn't have a long time. Uh, it wouldn't take you long to find uh, Andromeda if you if you went from Markab to Alpharats and went about the same amount of distance. It's not a perfect pointer system, but uh, those are fairly bright stars and easy to find. So. That's how I find uh, Andromeda, the Andromeda oh. galaxy is, I do use Alpharats. And then what I do is I just follow that uh, line of stars. You know, there's like another yes. star and then yeah, you yeah. kind of follow your way up a little bit of a chain of stars, right? Yeah, you go up two and then and then you kind of take a, a right-hand turn. and Yeah. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, it gets you in the right part of the sky. Yeah. So we're going to move on to Perseus. So we'll move up along Andromeda there and get into Perseus, which is 
the second uh, protagonist, I guess, in uh, the Perseus Andromeda myth. Perseus is the hero who rescues Andromeda, and uh, he does so using some uh, tools that he he gets, a polished shield and, and a sharpened blade. I don't know if he's sent to slay Medusa the Gorgon or whether he just encounters her. Anyway, he, um, he ends up uh, cutting off her head and uh, putting it in a sack and uh, now uh, to use later. <laughs> to use later it's like one of these video games where you p find things and you sort of pick them up and keep them because you might they can, might come in handy later it's like he thought yeah i think this head with uh hair made out of snakes could come in handy so i'm just going to put that in my sack and move on he the way he got around he had a pair of winged sandals that he got from one of the gods so he he was self-propelled perseus he didn't have a need a horse the bright star in uh, Perseus is Mirfak, uh, Alpha Persei, and for some reason it's called the Elbow. Uh, I haven't really figured out, Perseus, how how you'd sort of form the constellation from the stars. Uh, anyhow, it's a magnitude 1.8 variable triple star. It's a white spectral class F5 star. Again, it's a navigation star, a sky watcher, and celestial alignment star. And what I like about Mirfak is that it's in the center of a very large cluster. When, when I say large, it's like three degrees. It almost fills your binoculars. And it's uh, Melot 20. And it has it goes by the name Alpha Persei Moving Group. So all the stars are moving together. And I believe Mirfak is actually among them, physically associated. So there's a, a physical association there with those. And in binoculars, it's a very rich part of the sky. And maybe, uh, Chris or Shane, you might have more to say about that cluster. Probably my favorite object to look at. Um, I, I just absolutely love it. And every every fall, I spend a lot of time in there. You know, it's great from the backyard. You don't necessarily need a, a dark sky site for this. Like you said, Dave, it's huge. Uh, there's a lot of bright stars. There's a number of multiple star systems within there. It's wonderful. I really, really like Malat 20. Uh, like you could spend a whole evening just uh, yeah. looking at that and uh, and in some cases hauling out the telescope and zooming in on a few things in, in detail. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I like that uh, kind of observing where you're not jumping all over the place, but you just settle down in your chair and get comfortable and just really go deep in a certain area. I did that uh, in June when I was looking in that area of Ophiuchus, which is the uh, the defunct constellation I can never remember the name of, but it's Taurus. Taurus That one. <laughs> uh, I spent almost all my evening last June in uh, the Dark Sky Preserve just looking in that area of the sky with binoculars and then I had a small telescope and I zoomed mm -hmm. in on a few features and and I just kind of focused on that one area and uh didn't really go much much uh, away from it so this is yeah. another one of those areas you could spend a lot of time on yeah I I really like it a lot um and like Shane was saying you you can see a lot of detail from the city through binoculars or or you know a small telescope uh, but from any reasonably dark sky site that's like yeah. sixth magnitude or better, you know, we were just out here in my driveway a couple of weekends ago and my friend Peter was here with his 10 inch scope and he didn't have binoculars. So I, 
sort of long-term loaned him a pair of seven by 35s. And we were just standing there and I said, Oh, look, you know, you should know this cluster. And I pointed it out and he was like, wait, like all those stars around, you know, which we were talking about Murfak uh, are a cluster. And I said, yeah. And you could just see them with your eye. Um, they, yeah. it, it looks about as good to the unaided eye as uh, many clusters uh, yeah. will appear through uh, through a small telescope or binoculars. Yeah. Then when you yeah. throw the binoculars on it, uh, it, it's just like a whole sea full of stars. Yeah, I didn't look up how far that those stars are away, but I imagine they're fairly close to us. But uh, that's a homework assignment for somebody. Let's move on to Beta Persei, Algol. There's lots to say about Algol. Uh, it's called the Demon's Head. It represents the head of Medusa, the Gorgon, the, the one with the hair of snakes. I feel like and this is fitting because to me, <laughs> Algol, and Dave's laughing because he knows this, Algol really lives up to its demon star. Um, billing? I, billing, for me anyway, because <laughs> it is a royal pain in the astronomical society. All right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, okay. I know the backstory for that. We won't get into that. We we never seem to get the uh, the cycle right, <laughs> so it's a it's a magnitude two point one, and it's uh, it's like the original eclipsing binary variable star. Uh, it's a triple star actually, but the 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 two involved in the eclipsing uh, there's a an A and a B a component, uh, and it's a B eight blue white star. So the thing about this is. I believe it wasn't the very first uh, variable star observed, but was one of the first. And it has a very precise period of 2.87 days. And it varies in a very precise way in magnitude between 2.1 and 3.3. And the thing is, what's what's happening here is that there's a... Uh, uh, a, a dim a dimmer star which orbits the brighter star and as it goes around the it the primary it passes in front of the primary star and it reduces the magnitude by a precise amount and then the two are together and then there's another smaller dip uh, when it goes behind the other side so because of it's it's following this regular orbit it's a very precise cycle and it is tabulated in the observer's handbook or in the calendar. No guarantee that the times are the same. <laughs> they should be, but yeah, the, uh, we, we've had issues with uh, getting that right. Anyway, it's it's it the the eclipse, the disappearance and reappearance. You could watch uh, either the disappearance and the, or reappearance in one night over a, a, a several hours, and if you catch it at, at the right cycle you know you could go out after dinner and watch it disappear or reappear and you can do this visually without any aid because it's only going between magnitude 2.1 and 3.3 so you could watch that um you could watch that eclipse take place uh or the reappearance take place uh in, in an evening uh it's not a navigation star but it is an alignment star for skywatcher and celestron and if you're looking for uh, open cluster Messier 34. It's five degrees to the west of uh, Algol. So that's in Perseus. So it's an interesting star. It's actually in one of the observing programs. It's in Explore the Universe as an optional star. There's two variable stars that are optional to Explore the Universe. And 
Um, we don't have a variable star program in the RESC, but uh, so I don't think it appears in any other program. Okay, so let's move on to Aries, the next constellation. Aries the Ram. Now, Aries the Ram, it's east of Pegasus and south of Perseus. It's uh, not a very big constellation. Well, it takes up a big part of the sky if you include all the bright stars. But the main stars in Aries, is it, like there are three main stars that look like a kind of a hockey stick. Uh, that's the way I think of it anyway. The brightest one of those is Hamal, uh, Alpha Ariatis. I'm not very good at uh, pop culture, but there's a picture of Luke Skywalker here next to your well, notes. Because Luke Skywalker is was played by Mark Hamill. Oh. I know it's spelt with an I, but that's how I always <laughs> remember the name of that star. <laughs> Okay, well, whatever works, Chris. <laughs> but I have to back up and say Aries, uh, the, the reason Aries is important is that when, when folks invented, uh, you know, the ecliptic and, the, and uh, the, the cycle of the zodiacal constellations and so on, and put numbers onto them, the position of the vernal equinox, which is where the ecliptic crosses the equator, and which actually defines... Uh, zero hours of right ascension. It used to be when it when they first came up with that system, it was in Aries. The vernal equinox was in Aries, and it was and it was called the first point of Aries. Now, because of the precession of the equinox, that point is now in Pisces, and it's been sort of navig. It's kind of been slowly moving uh, westward in the sky, and eventually. It's going to be in Aquarius, and that's when the age of Aquarius will start. Now we're in the age of Pisces now, so it's I, still called the first point of Aries, even though it's now in Pisces. <laughs> yeah. I have a little bit of something about uh, about Hummel, Alpha Ariata, and the the star is is more or less like that center star of Aries. It's the brightest one there. Aries is one of these constellations. I think that gets uh, a poor billing because. There's there's not that much there to look at, but in some of the old early astronomical observing texts, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Dave, but they talked about a nebula near uh, uh, Hamel. I'm not sure if you've run across that. Well, uh, would it have been the Triangulum Galaxy? And well, it wasn't because they talked about it being uh, extending off of Hamel. No, I've never heard about that. Is is it a thing? Is it still there? Or is it, it... it is a thing. It is a thing. So I was reading these old texts, and I was thinking, well, gee, I've never noticed anything there. But if you go out, if you go to an exceptionally, you have to be in a very, very dark site to see this. You will actually see a nebula extending from. Uh, Hamel. And what this is, is I think it's something like 11 or 12 Ariadne through 16 Ariadne. And then there's some some fainter stars there. And it forms like this hook that goes up over top. And that's been interpreted uh, in two ways. Uh, one as one of the horns. It does kind of look like maybe one of the horns okay. of, of uh, Aries. And the other that I read about, but I, I lost my reference was that some referred to it as the golden fleece. Oh. Right? And and some sort of tie-in because, of course, Aries being a ram, and I guess they would have wool um, 
and and that that was the uh, the fleece that was spun, and that this very ethereal um, looking nebula uh, coming off of Hamel uh, was somehow associated with the uh, golden fleece mythology. Anyway, yeah, so- I guess Ares was the uh, the ram with the golden fleece that Jason and the Argonauts uh, yeah. went looking for in in their ship Argo Navis. Yes. So there's a whole there's a whole mythology there. Yeah. Argo Navis got broken up into three constellations. Maybe we'll get into that next ses- session. But yeah. Argo Navis is a huge constellation that got broken up into three smaller ones. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's probably worth looking into. Yeah. If people have binoculars, you can just find Hamel, and then uh, just above Hamel, you'll see there's a big string of of stars. It's a nice but binocular it- target. But is it a true nebula, or is it just a, no. a cloud of stars that's it, interpreted? It's that a star way? cloud. Yeah. Okay. For, for sure, there's a lot of stars there, which is surprising because uh, that's getting pretty far off Milky Way, right? Well, you never know. Universe is a big place, right? Mm. <laughs> Anyhow, Hamal. I didn't think we'd be talking about this that this much, but Hamal is a magnitude two variable star, and it's a orange K two star. Um, it's a navigation star and an alignment star for both Skywatcher and Celestron. And currently, uh, Jupiter and Uranus are both in Aries to the southeast of Hamal. So if you go out and look for Hamal, go to the southeast, you'll pick up Jupiter right away. And with a bit of work, you'll find Uranus. You may need a finder chart to find Uranus. But uh, once, once you get to Jupiter, it wouldn't be very far away if you're interested in observing Uranus. Okay, so let's move on to... The southern fish, Pisces Austrinus. There's a lot to say about this star. Uh, so Pisces Austrinus is the southern fish. Not, no surprise there. Uh, so we've got the Pisces just south of uh, Pegasus in the northern sky. And then if you go down in the southern sky, not too far down, you'll find the the southern fish. And the brightest star there is called Fomalhaut. Alpha, oh, I'm not going to even try this. Uh, Alpha Pisces Ostrini, or something like that. The mouth of the fish. Well, Fomalhaut is the mouth of the fish. And it's a magnitude 1.2 variable double star. It's a white spectral class A3. And I think it's the brightest star in, in this episode. It has an alternate name. It's got nothing to do with the fish. But it's it's called Difta al-Awel, first frog. And later on, we'll find out who the second frog is. Hmm. But it, uh, the, that's, I guess that comes from the Arabic. So there were three frogs. I can't figure out what the third one was, but it cons- has an alternate name, the first frog. Uh, I did say already, but I just saw in this list. It's also, I've never heard this before, but some people call it the lonely star of autumn, which is very poetic because it's the farthest from all uh, stars of first magnitude and brighter. It's the farthest from all of those. Huh. So, so, uh, and, and, it, and you see that when you find it in the sky, you, you look up, you, you find it from the great square of Pegasus. You go to the westernmost, um, vertical side of the square and you go from the top to the bottom through Markab and you go shooting down and all the stars on the way are very dim. And then finally you get to Fomalha. That's how I find it at summer star parties is, go to the great square and then you just, you know, you go down from the great square of Pegasus and there you have it. There's Fomalhaut. 
Uh, and yeah, there aren't any uh, real bright stars anywhere near it. Uh, so I, I kind of like that lonely star of autumn. Hmm. Um, it's a navigation star and an alignment star. Uh, and it's cl one claim to fame is that uh, it was the first uh, confirmed um, extrasolar planet back in 2008. There was, it, they knew it had uh, some sort of dust cloud or something around it. But in 2008, they actually were able to detect uh, a planet. And so it was it's it was sort of the, the harbinger of all of the extrasolar planet work uh, that followed Dagon. It's got a, it's got the name Dagon, which is half man, half fish. I don't know. I oh, uh, let me think now. May, no, sorry. That planet has got the name Dagon or Dagon. Oh, yeah, yeah. The planet is called Dagon. It was named in 2015 by the IAU and it's half man, half fish. Okay, I got I got it now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the planet. Yeah. Um, thanks for adding that to the notes. Okay, so from this from this uh, southern fish, we're going to go a bit more eastward, staying below the equator, and now below Pisces, below Pegasus, below Aries, and we're going to finish up. With four stars on Cetus, Cetus gets a, a lot of stars because there's two really interesting ones. Now, Cetus is a pretty big constellation, typically hard to see in the city. I've I've picked it out in a dark sky, and when you do finally pick it out, you realize how big it is, really. It's uh, quite a large constellation. And, of course, Cetus is the sea monster who is... Uh, so going back to the Perseus-Andromeda myth... Um, Cepheus, the king, finds out that to, uh, they've angered the gods, and so they have to sacrifice Andromeda to this monster. Uh, this monster is ravaging the coast of Ethiopia. They have to sacrifice Andromeda, so she gets chained to a rock. But before before anything bad happens to Andromeda, Perseus comes along, and using the aforementioned head of the Gorgon, is manages to get the sea monster to gaze upon the head, which turns him to stone, and he sinks to the bottom, and then they live happily ever after. Okay. So anyway, Cetus is the sea monster. Some people say it's a whale, but other descriptions of the monster, it has arms, so it couldn't be simply a whale. But uh, anyhow, there's mythology for you. The eastern end of the constellation is Menkar with Alpha Ceti, which is the nostril or the nose of, of the monster. Menkar, Alpha Ceti. It's a magnitude 2.5 star. Not super bright, but it's a, an orange-red M2 spectral class. Uh, it's a na navigation star, again, and a, an alignment star for Skywatcher and Celestron. And if you're looking for it, it's more or less due south of Jupiter at the moment. Go out and find Jupiter, go out and find Aries and Jupiter, and then just go south and you'll find it's a reasonably bright star south of um, Jupiter. I don't have Jupiter on my chart. At the other end of the constellation is Deneb Ketos, which means the tail of Cetus. We've seen the word Deneb in a number of uh, constellations. Of course, we know it in uh, Cygnus, the tail of the swan is called Deneb, just Deneb all by itself. But this, in this case, it's Deneb Ketos, the tail of 
the sea monster Cetus. It's an, a magnitude two star. It's another orange K0 spectral class. And its alternate name is Dipfta, which is the second frog to, mm. I think, the Arabian. So Fomalhaut was the first frog. And so that was Dipfta al-Awal. And, and Dipfta must be something, Dipfta something, second frog. Anyhow, it's a navigation star and an alignment star. And if you're trying to find Deneb, Ketos, if you found Menkar, uh, go back to Fomalhaut. And uh, along the way, it's about two thirds along the way. So you've, so Mankar and uh, Deneb and Fomalhaut kind of make a big long line in the sky. So that's how you sort of locate them. Another way to kind of locate it is to go down from the square of Pegasus on the eastern side, go down the vertical between the vertical stars, and go down like you did for Fomalhaut on the west western side. It's not, it doesn't line up directly, but it'll get you in the right ballpark to find Deneb Ketos. Okay, I've got two two more to finish off with. These are lesser stars, but they have some interest. Harder to find, but worth worth looking for. So the first one is Myra, which is Omicron Cetai. Means like it's like a miracle star or wonderful or amazing. And the reason is, it was the first variable star to be discovered. So it turns out it's a roughly magnitude 2 long period variable double supergiant star. And its spectral classes range from M5 to M10, and it's an orange-red star. Uh, And it has a very long period of about almost a year, 330 days. And it's quite irregular. It's not a regular, uh, doesn't have a regular cycle. It varies quite a bit. But the interesting thing is that uh, because it has such a deep magnitude difference, it goes from magnitude typically from 3.5 to magnitude 10. Sometimes it gets as bright as magnitude 2. But in effect, it disappears from the sky. Uh, Even magnitude 10, you would have a hard time finding it in binoculars. So that's one to keep an eye on if you can, because uh, occasionally it just disappears. And... uh, and it's another uh, uh, star that's in Explore the Universe. It, it, it's a second co- uh, variable star that's an option to follow and quite different from Algol because it's an irregular long period um, variable. I think it might be in the same class as Betelgeuse and some other long period variables. Okay, so we'll follow up. We'll end up with Tau Cetai. Now, why did I pick out Tau Cetai? The reason I pick out Tau Cetai, uh, it's a magnitude 3 multiple star spectral class G8, and it's very similar to the sun. So it's one of the few stars in the sky that is similar to the sun. And it's not that far away. It's an easily observable nearby star, about 12 light years away. We have in the handbook, there's nearby stars. And when I was editor of the handbook, the nearby stars articles sort of stopped halfway through a page and there was a half page blank and as editor of the handbook i abhorred blank spaces in the handbook so i would i either would put in a graphic or i would fill it with some uh material so what i did was i thought it would be cool to make a list of like a lot of these nearby stars that are in the list they're all authentic genuine stars but they're some of them are very dim even though they're very nearby and so I thought I'd go through that list and I made a short list and I called it easily observable nearby stars. And it's like a half a page. So if you're interested in 
observing, actually observing nearby stars in a small telescope. That's the list to look at. And Tau Ceti is, is in that list. And I can't remember the statistic about it being similar to the sun. It, it's rare to find one that's very similar to sun. I don't know if there's any chance it has planets uh, and if there might be an Earth Earth 2.0 or something. I'm not sure what the status is on that. I'm sure they're looking at it. Anyhow, that brings us to a close for the stars that you need to uh, know for fall. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, Dave. These were some pretty interesting stars, as you can tell by my excitement over some of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a great well, list. I, thanks. Uh, I really enjoyed these uh, these episodes, Dave. So thanks for doing this. Well, I enjoy putting them together because, uh, I mean, it's not like I've had this material together for a long time. Every every time I do one, I have to sit down and choose and so I, so I write down all of the navigation stars, and then I look around and see what else there is. And so uh, I have a master list that I made, and it's got about a hundred stars and all. And I go from that. That's it's like a big spreadsheet that I made because I was going to write a book. Maybe I'll write that book. But uh, what I'm doing is I'm sort of mining that spreadsheet. And then I always have too many, even for an episode. So then I have to decide which ones to throw out. And that's the tough part. Which ones are the, if you like, the least interesting? They're all interesting, but you know, so you can only do about a, a dozen, I find. So, uh, so that these are the ones that made the cut. <laughs> what do you want to do about the green star question? Why are there no green stars? Do you, do we have time to talk about it, or do you want to make it a? Um, yeah, we can. I, I use a, a, a listener quiz. Yeah, I think I think a listener quiz is is a is a good idea, or we can talk we can talk about it. I I like this question. This is a. A question that I, I attended a talk by by a renowned astrophysicist who was giving a talk on stellar spectroscopy when I lived in Ontario, and they, and they could get people in from the Perimeter Institute. If people are familiar with that, it's a pretty high ranking physics institute. Yes, uh, Stephen Hawking was was a member to give people some sort of yeah. um, you know idea of the caliber of of those who who would come, and so we, we got one of these folks to. Uh, to present at the uh, KW Center, and I went. I was really excited. And at the end of the talk, I put up my hand and I I asked this question about the green stars, and and the person got mad at me. Wow! <laughs> I remember well, they got really mad. It's a tough one. It's a tough question, right? So. I'll tell you what. Why don't you Why don't you put it out there as a a listener quiz? Get people to write in. Okay. Say say how much they like the episode, and uh, they can give their answer and uh i guess we can't we, we can say don't you know don't use the internet but uh, you know i think it'd be okay let's see what people could come up with why are there are yeah. no green stars or, like, yeah like people should what people can do is they can take a guess because we'll maybe we'll we'll revisit this one it's a good it's a really good question this is one of my favorite questions and it, and it is a tough question even to find the answer for because when at this time there wasn't as much on the internet about this. And so I went home and started flipping through at the time, my somewhat modest astronomical library and, and could not find an answer. And a friend of mine eventually found it in a, in a book. Don't give and, it away now. Well, no, I, this is not giving it away. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember we, you know, we, we had found this answer in this book and we were just like, whoa like that was really hard to find so okay but, 
it's probably it's probably easier now with the internet uh, being a little bit more. Uh, Let's see what people come up with. You can figure out how you're going to run that. Just okay. Are we going to give away a prize? What are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. I don't have any prizes to give away. Yeah, I can. I can think of. I can think of a prize. We can. We can figure something out. So you'll probably get lots of what you. Could, you'll probably get lots of okay answers, and then you can you can draw from the people that uh, get it right. Okay. Okay, then maybe like in a month's time or something, you can come back for a uh, a cameo or something, and we can. Or we yeah. could do it at the beginning of the the Southern Stars one. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a couple yeah. of months off. It's a couple months off, but it'll give people time to uh, do the research. Yeah. We can we can sort of keep these on the side. I'll send you the. Uh, I'll send you anybody who replies, and then we'll yeah we'll okay. give some we'll we'll find something to give away. Anything else, uh, Dave? These were fantastic. Love them. No, I'm good. Uh, unless uh, you guys have any more questions or comments on on the fall stars. No, nothing for me, Dave. This is really good. Um, we will post the show notes to actualastronomy.com in case anybody is wanting to reference everything that you just talked about, Dave. And there was there's uh, some uh, finder charts there as well for people to locate the stars you should know for fall. All right. And with that, thank you everybody for listening. Please subscribe, do us a favor and share the show with other stargazers you know. You can always send us your show ideas, observations, questions, and what you think green stars are to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>